in just a moment. I am going to turn, and we are going to turn, by extension, to first. Never mind. To uh, <laughs> First Kings, uh, chapter three. I'm going to move this, John, if you don't mind. Try not to break anything. Thank you. Uh, and we're going to get there in just a second. Before we do, uh, just a couple things I want to share. One, um, even though he's not in here again, I always like to express my appreciation to to folks uh, who step up when I'm gone. If you were not here last week, um, neither was I. Uh, Tony and I and the kids were in South Carolina last week uh, for the wedding of my cousin. And so Pastor Don uh, stepped into the pulpit and brought the word. And I always uh, very much appreciate all who kind of step up in my absence and allow me to be gone when the occasion arrives uh, with some peace of mind. Uh, as I said, and I think he shared with you last week, uh, it was the wedding of, of my cousin Natalie. It was a beautiful wedding. It was very surreal, though. Because as I stood at the front of the, the, the wedding hall where we were, um, and we'd come in, the, the ceremony was starting, and um, her now husband, Ryan, is there, and the wedding, and the groomsmen, and the bridesmaids are coming in, and suddenly the, the curtain closes, and it opens up, and, and down comes uh, Natalie on her father's arm. And as I looked at that, it was, it was very surreal because it was the second time. I've got to watch this young lady come down the aisle. Um, the first time was as the flower girl in our wedding. And um, it was a little disheartening for a moment that I was now standing there uh, doing her wedding. Disheartening only because I thought, wow, it, it's hard to believe it's been enough years now for, for her to be the, the bride. And, and I know some of you, because this morning I shared that story, and some of you have absolutely no sympathy for me on that. Uh, some of you, somebody came up to me afterward in the first service, and they said, wait till you're at your kid's 60th birthday party and tell me how surreal it feels. And I was like, whoa, let's slow it down a little bit. Um, but I get it. But it was, it was a beautiful moment, and, uh, and I appreciated the chance to, to be away and be a part of that with her and the family. Uh, the second thing I want to share is a word of thanks for, one, everybody that came out yesterday for the, the Dog Days of Summer event at the uh, pool at Cross Creek, the YMCA pool, which they very graciously um, allowed us to use for the event. I will confess, and Bethany will, will testify to this, that when we first talked about it, I did not think they were going to let us use the pool, but they did, and it's a credit and certainly um, very much appreciative to them. But uh, So thank you all who came to that. And thanks, everybody, who was a part of the team and volunteered and worked before with setup, during, serving, um, cleanup afterward. I know um, Bethany kind of leads up the special events team. I know, Ray, you were busy because if you had, were there yesterday, it was fantastic uh, pulled pork. It was, just fan, it was just a great day. And, and I want to thank everybody. I can't name everybody because there's too many of you. And I would forget, and then I would feel even worse. But for all of you that... that pitched in in some way uh, to make that possible. Thank you, because it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was one of the most fun kind of days that we've had um, as a church family. So if you missed it, be aware next year, because it really is a good time. But I want to kind of lead in with some thoughts as I was reflecting on the event yesterday, because I was, I was thinking about the way that, that sometimes things are deeper than they appear to be. And, and this is what I mean specifically in relation to that. Uh, if you had stumbled 
out to the pool yesterday and you weren't a part of the church and, and you didn't know anything about what was going on or maybe you, if somebody drove by and, and they saw there was a party going on and it was a church event, uh, the tendency would be to think that uh, it is just a, a fun fellowship day. It was just a day for, for us to come together and enjoy some good food and some fellowship, to go swimming, to, to watch the kids and adults have, have a lot of fun. That it was just, it was about the kind of things you may have seen on some of the pictures that, that you saw before the service began. And if that was all you understood the event to be, then you would miss some of the depth, the significance of it, because it was all of those things. It was a chance for us to, to hang out together. It was a chance for people from various worship services to, to meet other folks and, and to do all those things that we associate with just fun and fellowship and, and um, the fun of, I'm using F words here, the fun of Florida, I guess. But, but there was something else that went on, and that is as people came in, as some of you who didn't even go to the event but came, came up to the church this week, People were dropping off supplies. They were dropping off pencils and backpacks and paper and, and other supplies that we can now put together into backpacks to give to at-risk kids in the, tr- the school that we serve at Blackburn Elementary. And I don't, is it, are they going to Blackburn? To, to go to those kids to help them start the school off right, to kind of give them that first positive step as the year begins next week for most of our public school kids and, and this week for some of our private school kids. And, and my point is that sometimes things are deeper than they naturally appear to be, that sometimes there's an extra depth to, to what we kind of experience or what we see at the surface. And that's a, a good lead-in to f- our scripture this morning, 1 Kings chapter 3, because this is a... A pivotal moment in the life of, of Solomon It is a story that for some of us, not all of us, some of you are going to hear this and, and it may be brand new for you. You're not familiar with the story at all. But for a lot of us, we kind of at least know some of the basics of, of this significant event in the life of Solomon. But I think it's a little bit deeper than we might naturally um, assume it to be. So, so let's pick up at... 1 Kings um, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, we are on the heels, if you will, historically of the death of David. David has passed away, and Solomon has ascended to the throne of Israel, his, his son. And so this is what we read. It says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. So let me, let me kind of explain what happens here. We have a little forward and backwards in the narrative. It says that he brings, Solomon brings his, his wife to the city where he's built the temple. And then we kind of step back and we go, okay, but let's kind of go back to the story before the temple had been finished, before the temple had been built. So we step forward, then we step back. So the temple has not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. Now again, let me, let me kind of locate this for you. If we're not, Solomon builds the temple, the temple of, of Jerusalem that many of us are at least somewhat familiar with. Maybe you've seen pictures. And that became the central place for the worship of God, the worship of Yahweh. 
But before the temple's built, there are many places that the people would gather to worship. So as we kind of step back, it's saying that Solomon too is continuing to go to the holy places to worship the Lord. So we pick up at verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in the dream, in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning mind, an understanding mind is your translation, or some of you may read a discerning heart. There's, there's various ways, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, give us a discerning heart, an understanding mind. Help us to hear from you in these moments, in all these moments of worship, to, to grow in obedience and faith and in love as we walk in the way of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So imagine it's your birthday party. Or imagine a birthday party you've had. Maybe friends have gathered to celebrate your big day. Maybe you're with family. Who knows? But, but you're there, maybe in somebody's kitchen or living room. You've enjoyed the, the festivities of, of the afternoon or the evening. And suddenly, through the kitchen doors, comes the cake. Candles are burning. Everybody breaks into song. Happy birthday. And, and you wait. And as the, the chorus finishes, you prepare to blow out the candles. But before you do, somebody stops you and says, wait, you have one thing you must do before you blow out the candles. What is it? Make a wish. You've got to make a wish. That is our tradition. Now, I don't know how many of us really put any credibility into that wish, whether it's just something more. I think most of us kind of don't really go into it with the expectation that because it's our birthday and there's candles on the cake, it's necessarily going to come true. But I think most of us think of something. We instantly, quickly come up with something. We wrestle in our minds. and Sometimes we hem and haw before we do, but, but we think, what's the one thing in the course of this next year that I would like to see happen? Think for a moment. If I put you on the spot right now, what would your wish be? What would your wish be? Or if you have a, a broader imagination and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, 
into the, 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 the fantasy, the blurring of the fantasy versus the reality. Maybe you've imagined what it would be like to stumble upon the, the, the bottle and to rub the bottle and out comes the genie and you're granted the one or the three wishes. And there's only one caveat with the genie. There's only one thing you can't wish for. What is it? More wishes. Can't wish for more wishes. But, but imagine what it would be to have that kind of an invitation. Whatever you want on the spot, what do you wish for? There's a story about a, a man that held a great feast, banquet. He invited all his friends and family. And the young man was among those invited to this great party. And toward the end of the events, he had everybody come out onto the, the pool deck. And there surrounding his great pool, everybody looked into the waters and it was filled with sharks. And he looked at his guests and he said, I want to grant a wish. Anybody who is brave enough to jump into the pool and swim from one end to the other and make it out safely, I will grant you whatever you want. I will give you my ranch. I will give you a million dollars. I will let you have the hand of my beautiful daughter in marriage. So he waited a moment, and suddenly he hears the splash. And behold, this young man is flailing about the water, swimming for all his might, fighting off the best he can any shark that would come near him. And when he frantically reaches the end of the pool, he jumps out, and the host looks at him and says, you are so brave. What is it that you desire? That young man looked at him and said, sir, I don't want your ranch. I don't want a million dollars. I'm not interested in marrying your daughter. What I want more than anything else is to know the name of the man who pushed me into the pool. In the moment, what do you wish for? Now that's the, the fantasy that maybe we have, but it became Solomon's reality. It says that as he was worshiping, and, and Solomon began his kingship with such faithfulness, such obedience. Now his story would not end as well as it began. We need to, to recognize that. The scope of Solomon's Life, much like his father David, and even more to an extreme, had intense moments of unfaithfulness. But he starts out with such intention to, to honor the direction of his father and to faithfully um, worship the Lord. And so he's doing that as, as he's anticipating the building of the temple. And it says that God appears to him in a dream and says to him, what is it you want? What is it you want? Now, we don't believe that, that God is our genie. God's not at our beck and call. God's not here to fulfill our, our every want. And we don't manipulate God that way. But God takes the initiative with Solomon. And he asks him that. What is it that you want? That's why I kind of began with the, the scenarios. What is it that you would ask for? What is it that you would desire? Because Solomon gets that moment. And what he asks for reveals in part of something that he already possesses. Because when we think of Solomon's wish, if you're familiar with the story, uh, you, you know it a little bit. What's the, how do we one word summarize? What does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. He asks for wisdom. In fact, so much so that even if you don't know the story, you may be familiar with the cliche, the, the, the wisdom of Solomon. And, and so what he says, though, and, and the words that he uses actually 
are much deeper. That's kind of why I began with talking about the pool party yesterday, because there's truth that is deeper than what appears to be at the surface. And I think when we, we talk about the wisdom of Solomon, I think it's important for us to understand the depth of what he's really asking for, because it is wisdom. It absolutely is wisdom, but it's deeper and broader than we may initially think of. We may initially um, give credit for. Because Solomon says to the Lord, you have honored my father. You have honored my father by allowing his son to sit on the throne, by allowing me to sit on his throne, that, that his dynasty, if you will, would carry on. But, but he says, I am, I'm just a kid. I'm just a child is the language. And it's a little bit of hyperbole to play this point that, that he's saying, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in over my head here. Now, here's if we pause for a moment. I think most of us, if not all of us, can identify with the time in our life, times in our lives, maybe right now, where that's been your prayer. Lord, I'm in over my head. The proverbial throne in the deep end. And you're just trying to gasp for air. And I think that's a little bit of what Solomon's going through. I have this great responsibility, this great nation, and now I'm the king. And he says, what do I desire? I desire wisdom. But he words it in a way that is very, very significant. Verse 9, this is what he says. Give to your servant an understanding mind. Or, as I said, some of you are reading your Bibles right now, and it says a discerning heart. The, the Hebrew, if you, if you literally translated it, it's a hearing heart. Give your servant a hearing heart. And there's a second part of that. And he says, so that I may be able to discern, to know, to understand good from evil. A hearing heart that is able to discern from good and evil. That actually means hearing judgment. What he is asking for, what he is saying is that I want to be able to know God's truth compassionately. That, that, that's the significance of the heart because he's not talking just about the intellect. It's not just talking about knowledge. He's saying, I want to understand your truth. I want to understand your word, but I want to understand that the very core of who I am. I want to understand that with compassion. And that is the, the marrying, if you will, the merging of two truths that I think help us to understand wisdom in a much deeper way than many of us that I often associate with wisdom. What, what Solomon is doing is he is revealing an understanding, a, a wisdom already, because he's got an opportunity to ask for anything that he wants, and he does not do it. He asks instead for what he needs. He doesn't ask for what he wants. He seeks from God to provide to him that which he needs. And again, that's why I asked you, what would your wish be? Because if you are like me, and I will self-confess, my wishes immediately go to wants. That, that's what I do. You know what? What do I want? I, I want I want to... A BMW. That's not what I wish for, but play with the metaphor for a moment. Do I need a BMW? No. In fact, I wouldn't drive one anyway because I know what you all would say if I showed up here with a BMW. <laughs> I know what he would say over there. 
But my point is, it's a want. What I need is a car that can get me from point A to point B. That's what I need. You know, the, the difference. What do I want? A, a big house with theater rooms and pools. What do I need? A roof over my head and a bed to sleep in at night. We have a tendency to kind of go for the want. That's human nature. Solomon doesn't do that. He goes for the need. He doesn't, and, and God commends him. He doesn't ask for a long life, death of his enemies, wealth. He says, help me to know your truth compassionately. And, and it very may be that that's the kind of wisdom that is the most essential need of human experience. It, it very well may be. I'm, I might not be smart enough to dissect that. But I, but I wonder, because... Uh, Teachers and philosophers and psychologists throughout human history have tried to, to wrestle with and tried to come up with what is the greatest human need. Karl Marx said it was material possessions, that you needed, you needed the essentials. And, and, and so he believed in, in um, the sharing, the distribution of wealth. Now, most of us don't ascribe to his understanding of how that should be lived out, but, but he believed that was the greatest need, was, was material possessions and, and our material needs. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts with that. You know, you have to have your material needs met. Uh, Sigmund Freud said that the greatest human need was sexual fulfillment. That's what he said was the greatest human need. That need for intimacy. Uh, Albert Adler said that the greatest human need was power that we hunger and we need power and authority. And that's what he said the pursuit was. And, and even Robert Schuller a few years ago wrote a book, and he said the greatest human need was not humility. It was self-love. It was appreciation for, for who you are. And, and so these are, these are just a few of those who have kind of reached out and tried to, to discern what is the greatest human need? What is it that we all need? But I wonder if, if Solomon speaks to the greater need than all of those, and that's wisdom. God-given wisdom, because think about it. Yes, we need material provisions. That's a part of our human condition, but remember what Jesus says. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's, even Jesus says, there's something even greater, a need there. Freud talked about sexual fulfillment. You know what? God created us for human intimacy. Sex is a beautiful thing that God has given to us. Not something we should shy away from talking about. But God also desires us to have the wisdom to know how that intimacy is lived out in a way that is fulfilling, that, is, uh, that, that blesses us. And we know that without wisdom, the pursuit of sexual fulfillment can lead to brokenness and debauchery and sin and, and, and the... the the crushing of us emotionally and physically and spiritually. So even that must be undergirded by wisdom. Power, that couldn't be more obvious. The pursuit of power and how humanity has used that against each other. When, when power becomes used in ways that is destructive or self-serving. What's the, 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 the saying that many of us learned in, in high school? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. So, so we understand these truths. Even Schuller and his talk of, of the need for self-appreciation um, and, and self-love, if you will, that without God-given wisdom can be very dangerous. It very, can easily turn into egotism and narcissism and selfishness. So Solomon understood that all of these things, all of them important, all of them 
necessary, but that wisdom was the most important thing. And so he gives us this model. That's what he seeks. And, and I wonder how many of us think about pursuing in our faith and in our walk with Christ wisdom and what that means. Because we often narrow it. I do. We narrow it. Wisdom becomes about intellectual knowledge. And we gain intellectual knowledge from a few ways. One, we gain it through education. Every year we celebrate our young people and, and others who walk across the stage and receive a diploma to signify the end of part of a journey. And we hope that signifies a journey that has resulted in the gaining and gathering of intellectual knowledge. That, that is important. That matters. We also gain knowledge not through uh, academic pursuits, but through life experience. Life is probably, in fact, life's the greatest teacher we have. Uh, most of us know that even if you get those diplomas and those, life will teach you far greater lessons most often than you're going to le learn in a classroom. And if you're a people watcher, you can watch people become educated. Do you know that? You can watch moments in which you can see people get an education. Tony and I do this all the time when we go on vacation. We love to watch people get educated. And that often happens. The most clear example of that is when we do vacations that keep us in a tropical climate. If we go to the beach for a few days or if we, on occasion, we'll take a cruise. Cruises are the best place to watch people get smarter, I think. And this is how it happens. You've done this. You've done this. You've seen this. You go out on the first day on a cruise. And we'll go out and we'll get a seat near the pool or something. And we'll read and we watch. And about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you will see those who have been educated. Very often, they're people who live in northern climates, who have not learned what the strength of the sun is like the closer you get to the equator. And by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you will see what we refer to as human glow sticks. <laughs> okay? Because they have gotten fried. And you know, if you've been, you know, they're the kind of, you just, oh, you cringe. And what you've seen is you're watching education happen. Because that entire week, every time they take a shower, every time they put on a shirt, every time they lay in bed, they're going to learn. And they're going to learn you don't take the sun for granted. And we all learn that lesson. I mean, I'm not casting stone. In fact, somebody came up to me after the first service, and they were glowing red. And they said, thanks for piling on today. And I said... <laughs> Glad to help. Um, we do that. It happens. We have a bunch of our kids, including my daughter, who's covered it up with makeup. I'm going to pick on her, that are glowing a little today because they were out of the pool all day yesterday. It happens. I'm not, I'm not meaning to kind of make light of it, but the thing is, life teaches us. We learn by that. So it's the, gain, the gaining of knowledge, and we could, we could sit here and name a lot of ways that that happens. That's what we think of wisdom. That's what we learn, what we know intellectually. Maybe we think of wisdom as the exercise of, of good judgment, the ability to take that knowledge and apply it to life circumstances because, you know, without that, the knowledge somewhat becomes useless. If you can't apply it and, ap apply it and, and uh, have application for it, then what, then what good is it? That's what Tony teaches at, at um, MSA, as, as others here do, and she teaches a critical thinking class. And um, that's what the course is about, trying to take things that the, the sixth graders are learning. How do you apply knowledge? and make it useful in day-to-day -day living. Uh, there's a story of a, of a young girl, well, young lady, I should say, and her father was deeply, deeply in debt. And the 
person that he was indebted to was going to have him thrown in jail because he couldn't pay. And um, so he, the, the father goes, and he's kind of begging for, for mercy. And this, this um, person who's owed the money sees that he has a beautiful daughter. So he kind of concocts a scheme. And he says, tell you what I'll do. I'll make you a bet. We're going to put two pebbles in a, in, a, in a bag, one black and one white. If your daughter reaches in and pulls out the black pebble, then she has to agree to marry me, and I will forgive your debt. If she pulls into the bag and pulls out the white pebble, she does not have to marry me, and I will forgive your debt. But if she refuses, you go to prison. And so the young lady's in a, you know, rock in a hard place, so she agrees to take the chance. But she notices that when this landowner puts the pebbles in the bag, he puts two black pebbles in the bag. And she knows she can't call him out because to do so would risk her father going to jail. So when she reaches into the bag and she pulls out the stone, she accidentally drops it. And she looks down and she goes, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I accidentally dropped the stone. No worries, for whatever color stone is in the bag will reveal the color that I chose. Now think about it. She used wisdom because he couldn't admit he'd lied. And when they looked in the bag and saw the black stone, the assumption would be she chose the white. It's the ability to use wisdom. That God gives us. Now, those are the things that I associate, maybe you associate. But the power of what Solomon reveals to us is in the words, a hearing heart. Or in that phrase that Solomon's quest was to understand God's will, hear God's voice with compassion. Yeah, I, th- I think that what we sometimes lose in the church, what we forget as followers of Christ is we pursue wisdom, we pursue knowledge, we pursue learning and Bible studies and trying to understand what God's will is, and that is all important. But we lose compassion. We lose the, the truth that God calls us to live out that knowledge in a way that loves the other. And that's what Solomon's asking for. In fact, we go to see how that compassion and how that judgment gets lived out. And go read this on your own if you don't know the story because it's just a few verses away in chapter 3 of the two women that bring the baby to him because they say that they're both claimed to be, to be the mother. And if you don't know the story, go read the story. But it's judgment with compassion. It's wisdom with compassion. That's what we're called to. And I started to think about that. How often do we remember that our call is to pursue that, but that compassion is the way we're called to live it out? And I started to think about that in light of the life of Christ. And I started to think about that in light of the fact that his strongest adversaries, as many of us know, were the Pharisees. They were the teachers of the law. They were religious leaders. And they had almost as much knowledge of the law and the scriptures as Jesus did. Not as much. Nobody had that much knowledge and insight. But they were well-learned. They were educated. They knew the law. And yet, people flocked to Jesus. And yet, Jesus lived that out in a different way. What was significant? What was different than the way that they lived the law than the way Jesus lived it out? And it was compassion. 
over and over and over again in the scriptures, we hear the words, Jesus looked at her with compassion. Jesus looked at him with compassion. Jesus looked at them with compassion. He understood that knowing the law and living it out, knowing the will of God and how we live that out was equally as important. It wasn't just about a pursuit here. It was a pursuit here. And so we have a story like we do in John chapter 8 where a woman's caught to Jesus, comes, brought to Jesus who's been caught in adultery. She has violated the law. There's no doubt about that. Jesus isn't defending the action. And remember, they brought her to him and said they were ready to stone her. And if you're familiar with the story, it says Jesus wrote something into the ground. And then he looked at him. And I'm going to paraphrase. He kind of said, you're right. The law says she's to be stoned. That's what the law says. We all know it. So I'm not going to stand in your way. But let you who is without sin throw the first one. But if you go on, it says that as everybody left, he looked at her. And the scripture says he had compassion. And he says, who condemns you? And she says, no one condemns you. And Jesus says, neither do I. Now, that's where we conveniently stop the story. Because we, people like to use that story to say we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge. It's true. We absolutely shouldn't. But we forget Jesus' last words to her. Neither do I judge. Go and sin no more. He calls her to faithfulness. He calls her to righteousness. He doesn't neglect or deny holiness. But rather than using the word of God as a club to beat her with it, he reveals the heart of God, which is compassion, to love her with it. That's what it means to have a hearing heart, to seek, to pursue, to grow in what we understand to be God's will, but to be open to how God calls us to compassionately live out his will. And I think sometimes we just, we lose sight of that. I, I, I just am concerned, I lose sight of that. I become so adamant at being right in my arguments and being right in my knowledge and being right in my intellect. And I forget that I'm also called to be right in my heart. And righteousness is lived out through love. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, if I understand mysteries and I speak in tongues and I have all knowledge and I can say to the mountain move and the mountain moves and I have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. A challenge for me, but for you, is to remember the depth of wisdom. That's not just what we know, but it's how we live that out. How do we love? How do we live into the example of Christ? Solomon struggled with that. It's interesting that for the wisest man in the world, he did some dumb stuff. And boy, I'm thankful. Because I do some dumb stuff. And I am thankful for the compassion of God. And I pray I can have a hearing heart so I will model the compassion of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your example to us through the life of Solomon. We're reminded that, that he had a unique opportunity to ask of you anything you, he wished. But, Lord, you still allow us to come to you, to be open to the Holy Spirit, because your Holy Spirit speaks wisdom into our lives. That's your wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. That wasn't just for Solomon, but it's for each of us who are open to that. But help us to understand that rightly, for it's not just about what we know, 
but also about how we live and how we love. And may we do that with faithfulness, with obedience.